Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Nice buns, soft, fluffy and ultra low net carbs. Discover Hero Bread, the delicious ultra low net carb bread. With incredible taste and texture, Hero Bread has zero grams of sugar and is under 100 calories per serving. Plus, high in fiber with 5 to 10 grams of protein per serving. Available on Amazon.com, Walmart.com, and at Hero.co. That's H-E-R-O dot C-O. Delicious, ultra-low net-carb Hero Bread buns and tortillas. Soft and fluffy, high in fiber, and with zero grams of sugar, up to 10 grams of protein, coming in at under 100 calories. Order today at Hero.co and use the code AH10 to get 10% off your first purchase. That's AH10 at Hero.co, H-E-R-O dot C-O. Order from Hero.co now and get 10% off your first purchase with promo code AH10. That's 10% off with code AH10, H-E-R-O dot C-O. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. You're listening to Uncovered with Barrett Sundarason and Jared Kimball. Welcome to the Uncovered Podcast. I'm Jared Kimber, and with me is a, I would say, uh, sexy for sexy replacement as far as Barrett Sundaresan goes. Uh, but Bar- Barrett is actually weirdly going to be on Wagon Wheel again with me later in the week. But uh, but for now, we have Bayram Kwasi from Grassroots Cricket. Uh, you might know him on Twitter as, I want to say Def Mango. Is it Def Mango? Uh-huh. It is Def Mango, yes. There we go. Um, Translates to Bayram in Urdu, so Bayram. For viewers, <laughs> uh, uh, it's a pun. Yeah. Also, you know, uh, for me, but um, I get that now. Um, what was that? What else was I going to say? Uh, thanks for for popping in. You're actually weirdly enough, I think, because you and I have done a couple of Red Inker episodes, and like one's due this week. So suddenly, everyone is going to be um, uh, sick of you after this week. <laughs> Never been on the podcast before, and you're going to be on about eighty three times. But uh, thanks for uh, thanks for popping in um, again. Uh, we're going to go through a bunch of talking points on the podcast today. If you have a super chat that you are desperate uh, for myself or Mr. Mango to answer, uh, feel free to um, send that through to us. We might get to a couple of questions at the end as well. Um, I wanted to start with the Ireland Sri Lanka test match. So, uh, were you, did you pay much attention to this one, or is this in the background of your uh, your cricket watching? I paid. A lot of attention to this one because whenever Ireland play, te- play test cricket, and I think it's happening after three years, if I'm not wrong, which yeah, is really so. criminal. Uh, I mean, it might have been a couple of years or three years, but I love it when Ireland cricket gets coverage. And yeah, I mean, especially when Sterlo and Curtis Camphor got hundreds, I was like, okay, goal test, first innings, Ireland 192. This something could happen over there, but then obviously the inevitable happened. <laughs> well, let's talk about the inevitable. So I was watching those first couple of days, and with all due respect to Curtis Camphor, I was thinking to myself, it's a pretty good pitch to bat on. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, well batted and everything, but it was a very good pitch to bat on. And I, I watched pretty much most of the Irish innings one way or another. And as they were, as I, you know, it became clear they weren't going to make 550 or 600. Mm. I almost went to Twitter and went, I don't think they've got enough. But I did want to mm. be the sort of, you know, Irish fans <laughs> are some of my favorite fans in cricket. They are, the, I, I would say, I would go as far as to say they're almost the, most least toxic of cricket fans out there, which isn't really a high bar to like to cover. <laughs> I mean, cricket. Yeah, absolutely. But even so, you know, they 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 are 
I think they really follow, as you said, they haven't had a test in a couple of years. It was a celebration. They've made almost 500 in Sri Lanka. I didn't want to be the one to go on and go, so guys, I think this is going to go poorly for you. But I kind of pushed the game away. And then like I'd click in and I'd watch half an hour and I was watching the Sri Lankans bat. And two things really sprang to mind. And I think Tim might have actually put this up in the comments as well. Um, two things instantly sprung to mind to me was that, A, the pitch was absolutely as flat as I thought it was. And that, mm-hmm. um, as he says here, Sri Lanka was scoring really quickly. I think outside of one of the openers was a Madushka. I think he might have had a strike rate of like 60. Everyone else, like even um, Karuna Ratna had a, had a strike rate <laughs> yeah. of like 85. Like, and you know, it was ridiculous how quickly they all scored. And there was a part of me that was like, I'm not going to tune in with this game again until I feel comfortable that Ireland are at least <laughs> still in the game or going to lose it. And the next time I turned it on, I think they'd lost, was it two or three quick wickets in the second innings? And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, this is going to go poorly. And it reminded me of that of the test match they played at Lords against England. Remember when they bowled them out for like negative five yep. on day one? And like everyone was really excited. I was like, yeah, I've seen Ireland play. <laughs> like I'm not saying they're not capable of this, but I also am pretty sure they're capable of the other side as well. I, you know, even they go, nearly beat Pakistan as well in their debut test. But, but that was a perfect example of how did they nearly beat <laughs> Pakistan? Do you remember? They were asked to follow on because they were so far <laughs> behind in that game. And then Kevin O'Brien. So they have the ability to compete with these better teams. And we've seen it. And there's three mm-hmm. test matches straight away, but they don't have the ability to do it over five days, partly, as you also said, because they don't play that much test cricket. This is what it looked like. It's, you look at some of their cricketers and you're like, there's talent here. The bowling, especially in Asia, is probably a bigger concern. But you look at their players and you go, there's some talent here. But managing that over five days and, and Sri Lanka just steamrolled them for like, what, three and a half days of that test match. It was pretty brutal in the end, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's one of the tougher places to tour Sri Lanka because they're just so good at their home turfs. And also, I think, you know, lots of positives for Ireland to take from this because, look, this is a team that really hasn't played away. I don't think they've played away. Someone correct me in the comments or something if I'm wrong. They played Bangladesh. Yes, they played Bangladesh. Again, terrible place to tour if you're a a non-Asian side. And I believe the other other test match um, that they played, if I'm not mistaken, was um, uh, did they not play Afghanistan in India? Or am I making that up? They might have. Yeah, I think Rashid steamrolled them in that one. Uh, God, I can't even remember. It could have been another team. It might have been Ireland. Honestly, I I can't quite remember. But okay, so they're a team that haven't really played a lot of test cricket away from home or a lot of test cricket period. And I think we were having this discussion on another one of the pods as well, that in order to survive in the longer format, you need to play uh, consistent test cricket with quality sides and in different conditions. And I don't think that for these... Lesser endowed teams. I'm going to use that word lesser because endowed. I don't want to call love, them lesser teams. I love teams. that phrase. You've made them. <laughs> yeah. You've made them. You know, there's a lot of masculine people who are going to feel really uncomfortable at that. But continue. <laughs> yeah. So uh, and and of course, I mean, like you said, I love not just the Irish fans, but the Irish people are some of my favorite people in the world. I, I visited Ireland, and you go to the pubs, and everyone's talking to you. Everyone wants to know your story. Everyone comes up to you. Extremely happy people and uh, very very kind. So I do wish them the very best. And when Ireland did score 500, sure, it was a road. But then again, they were in foreign land, never played in Sri Lanka before. And then you're playing that Prabhat Jaisuriya guy, who is probably like the third coming of Rangana Herath or something. And he's already up to 50 wickets in seven test matches. So if he gets uh, another string of test matches in Sri Lanka, he's beating Yasser Shah's record where Yasser, I think, beat Clary Grimmett and he has, what, 100 tests and 15-odd tests or so, 100 wickets and 15 tests, pardon me. So Prabhat is 15-7, uh, tied Vernon Philander, mm. and this guy has, what, six fifers in seven tests. That's ridiculous. Tests, which is amazing. It's And two tenfers. So, you know, with Prabhat in that attack, it's, it's always going to be challenging, especially come third day or third or fourth innings. And I think Ireland did well. Got to 500. They needed a moment of inspiration. Unfortunately, they couldn't get that. But positives, Balboni, the skipper, got runs. Missed out on 100. Sterlo, senior member of the squad, comes in in the middle order. Scores runs. Mm. Very good positive. Uh, then you have uh, Lokan Tucker, who's only gotten better every time we see him. Uh, really, really impressed with that guy. Keeps wicket as well. So that is a lot of value add in a team. And that's something that Ireland can really take forward. And then Curtis Camphor, I think, was just... Unfortunate in the sense that uh, South Africa have quota rules. 
<laughs> because he could have played for South Africa, right? I, I definitely think. That I don't he has think. The it, I don't think that's a quota thing at all. There's, I don't mm-hmm. think he gets anywhere near the South African side. Like if you look Fair at enough. it, I mean, with Jansen coming up, and I think well, Michael Jansen is a. He's what five foot eight or five foot nine, right? And most mm-hmm. South African or like David Visa can't get in the side, right? Um, yeah. uh he's he's medium fast. Like if you compare it to Grant Elliott, right? <laughs> like I think I think it's pretty fair to say that you know between the two of them, um, Grant Elliott's probably a slightly better cricket than him. And Grant Elliott was a similar situation. You know, you look at your international um, team uh, and you wonder how you're going to get in. And, and I think I mean he'd already played so Camford already played under nineteen cricket. And I mm-hmm. think if he continues, he probably becomes a fairly decent sort of lower level first class player in South Africa. But I don't think yeah. he's getting anywhere near the South African. Well, he could, team. Could, have, could have gone to New Zealand. You see a lot of South Africans going to New Zealand and making a name for themselves. <laughs> well, the reason he didn't go to New Zealand is simply because he has he is um, Irish. Like he has mm-hmm. a grandmother who's Irish, and um, and they had an Irish passport. He he didn't get an Irish passport for cricket. He got an Irish passport because he he was Irish, and and his family yeah. gave it to him. He could have, he could have gone to New Zealand. I think. He plays that game against South Africa, and I'm trying to remember, sorry, against Ireland. It was 2018, I think, off the top of my head. And I think mm-hmm. at that point, he probably wasn't at the level that anyone in New Zealand was going to recruit him. Maybe in the next year or so that would have happened. Because that's what, I mean, I don't know if people know this, but that is actively what happens, right? You, you Sometimes you get the local player do it themselves. You look at someone like Neil Wagner. Neil Wagner was offered two callback deals that that I'm aware of um, and probably had talks of others. Andy had a, a side in New Zealand. You know, the, the Scottish guys, the Irish guys, the Dutch guys, they literally listen out for players. You know, if they hear of anyone playing under-19 cricket. I, I was contacted by someone recently from one of the international teams um, who said, uh, keep your ear out for anyone who might, you know, have a passport uh, that, that, you know, that might be out. So these things happen, right? But Curtis yeah. Camphor was, it was remarkable, of course. He plays against Ireland, smashes them around and goes over there. But yeah, the whole thing, the whole thing is very, very interesting from that perspective. I've just got the full list while you were chatting. I was, I was trying to bring up the full list here. So uh, the first one uh, was in 2018. So I was at that first game. And they lost to Pakistan by five wickets after giving Pakistan a bit uh-huh. of a scare. After Imam they- saved Pakistan in that game, otherwise they were, you know, collapsing. Yeah, what, I remember with Imam al Haq. I've got to remember. Were they chasing like ninety or hundred or something in that early one thirties or one one fifty maybe perhaps? Yeah, it wasn't it many, was around was it? that region. But then again, it was one of those games where Pakistan was under under a lot of pressure because they had. In, in, uh, forced to follow on, and then they were about to lose that game, and the meltdown would have been unreal. <laughs> so no, you're right. I mean, it was more than enough, I remember, it was 160, and they were. Mm-hmm. I just want to get the score right. They were 14 for three uh, when it was a uh, Baba and Imam Al Haq came together. So that was 2018, yeah. 2019. They looked. I was right. They did go to um, India uh, and lose mm-hmm. to Afghanistan by. Is seven there a Russia 10 for that game? Oh, you, you're testing my. Googling here. Wait. Uh, <laughs> Rashid in the first innings uh, took two wickets and in the second win- innings took seven. So I uh, took five. Oh, sorry, nearly. took five. So he took Almost. seven in the game. Oh, two fives. Yeah. So I, I was right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so that was the second one. Then they played that one at Lords that we mentioned before where mm-hmm. oh, I'll get the exact score on this because probably should have it. Gave they, England a proper scare over there. I remember that. Yeah. They bowled England out for 85. It was one of the more remarkable <laughs> days of cricket I've ever been at in my life. And <laughs> and when I say that, they bowled them out. Uh, this was a team that had Root, Bairstow, Moinelli, Chris Wokes, Sam Curran uh, uh, in it as well. So there was like, there was some decent batters in that. Then there's the uh-huh. big gap. And then of course they, they go over to Bangladesh uh, they ended up losing that first test by seven wickets. Obviously, Sri Lanka absolutely crushed them in the first mm. ha- uh, test at Gaul. And then in the second test um, uh, it was the one where they've made almost 500 in the first innings and still managed to lose by an innings and 10 rounds, which on its mm. own is a remarkably, you know, uh, yeah. ridiculous um how often do you score nearly 500 runs and lose by an innings? I don't think it's probably happened a lot. Ask Stephen. Stephen, if you're looking at this, I mean, if you're watching this show, please let us know. <laughs> I'm trying to think. There's one off the top of my head that I have seen before. But no, you're right. It just doesn't happen mm-hmm. very much. It's a lot of runs to make. And, and it does come down to, as you said, the great bowling of the, of the Sri Lankan team, but also just that rapid um, pace. Mm-hmm. Just while we're on Ireland as well, I don't know if you saw this this week, but Tim Murta, did you did you follow up on, on what? I did. I saw how he did a 
solid number on Zach Crawley. And every time I watch Zach Crawley bat, I just feel like Pakistan is responsible for this guy's extended run in England's international team because that 267 aside, Zach Crawley hasn't imp- impressed me an awful lot with the bat. And Tim Murta properly like schooled him over there. 41 year old, thousand first class wickets, and you know, first shapes it away. And I reckon then he brought it in and you know, he knocked him over. And really, I think Ireland could have benefited from. Tim Murta and the squad and perhaps even Josh Little because I know that Sri Lanka is generally uh, well destination where you need turners and spinners but having that kind of quality uh, in the base department definitely could have helped them I mean Nishan Madushka no um, of course uh, not taking anything away from him solid double hundred Mm. but then again you know uh, not the strongest bowling attacks on a gall road which is not something I'm used to saying actually it's kind of weird Um, but I mean, it does take away from it a little bit, even though I think that he was phenomenal in the way he batted, along with, of course, Kusal Mendes. Love to see that guy play for Sri Lanka in whites, by the way. I think Sri Lanka owe him like a statue for winning them that game in South Africa, uh, where he just went with the tail and scored 150-odd. So there were a lot of strong performances there. Of course, Angelo and... Uh, Wait a minute, Arunarathne, did you say Kusal uh, Mendes? Did you mean Kusal yes. Pereira? Ah, Kusul Don't worry. Right, 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 the right, two right. Kusuls. I, I, can, I cannot. Massive howler on my part. No, no. I cannot tell you how many times I've, I like, I've written it down and I know the difference between the two of them. Do you know what I mean? Like I've, I've commentated yeah. on them. I could tell you mm-hmm. the difference because <laughs> like physically they look nothing alike. And obviously. Oh, absolutely nothing. And Kusul Mendes is actually a very stylish player. I remember the runs exactly. scored versus Australia a few years back uh, on that torrid tour where Australia just folded like a pack of cards. But anyway, again, splendid player, Kusal Mendes. uh, I think he's very aesthetically pleasing. uh, Is definitely one for the... Or well, I think it is time now. It's not one for the future anymore. It is his time now because Mm. he was one for the future a few years back. Lots of positives for Sri Lanka as well. Expected to win this. Expected to streamroll Ireland and they did so. Uh, But Timmy Murta, yeah, I mean, fantastic achievement. Uh, We talk about Jimmy Anderson. But here's a guy who's older than him. He's 41. He's got a thousand first-class wickets. He's still doing the business and getting England's first team opener uh, out in that fashion. So I think like Ireland could definitely have done with had done with his services. And he's definitely a legend of the game, definitely in county cricket. I, no I think, I think when it comes to Murta, I mean, I haven't actually talked to him about this directly, but I think as much as anything, they weren't playing test matches, right? And mm. he's not as um, he's not as good in the other formats, right? It's just not mm. something that he's he's yeah. um, as good at. So I had a chat with him a couple of years ago because I was I'm writing this big piece on wobble balls, and I've talked to about a hundred different bowlers and and how they go and all this sort of stuff. And, and I commentated with uh, Tim Murtagh. I can't remember what it was. It must be for some island games for Talksport. Mm. And and I was chatting to him about the wobble ball. <laughs> And he, and, and he said, oh, I don't have a wobble ball. And I was like, really? Because there's like this ball that you bowl and it does this thing and it mm-hmm. looks like a wobble ball to me. And he said, no, what <laughs> happened was I've got an outswinger and I bowl the outswinger every single delivery, no matter what's happening. That's just my stock ball over and over and over again. But sometimes um, I, I lose my action just a little bit. And when I lose my action, I, I accidentally roll my fingers on the ball and it becomes an off cutter. And it comes back and it, it basically does what he was saying is like an accidental wobble ball. This is one thing I have found that there are a couple of players who just have accidental wobble balls and, and Tim Murth. But it was incredible how honest he was about it. Like he could have just told yeah. me he had the world's best off cutter, right? And I would have been 100% on his side. And in the end, it, and he was basically saying that at times he thought maybe I should fix my action so I don't occasionally bowl that ball, right? And then one of his coaches sort of said to him, well, look, no one can play it. Like, don't fix it while it's happening. So it's incredible to think that someone like him has gone on to take a thousand wickets, which just tells you how good you can be in bowling if you have one, you know, massively mm-hmm. above average skill, which for him is that, you know, the line and the length and then that the ability to move the ball away. But I don't know how, if you know this. Do you know who's taken the most first-class wickets of all time? Ah, oh, that's a, it's got to be a spinner, right? It, it has to be a spinner. It is a it's spinner. It's a Jim Laker. No, no. So Jim Laker, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, this is the, this is where it gets really funny. Like as far as modern day players go, I think Harath might be up high, but there's he could be. There, it's really this list of um, incredibly, incredibly old players. Um, let's see where Laker is. Laker has nineteen hundred and forty four, right? So, Quite so we've number. just said Tim Murta, incredible to have a thousand, right? Laker had 1,944. <laughs> he still has less than half the most. 
Oh my god, that that's staggering. I mean, is it perhaps no? Murli wouldn't have played enough first yeah. class cricket because no, he I, was playing for Sri Lanka from a very young age. So it has to be someone from Ray. Is it? Is it? Um, I think of the modern spinners from the past. Spinners yeah, from the no, past, it's I'm way thinking. way older than that. I'm trying to remember that. So Courtney Walsh has 1800. So I know yeah. you wouldn't really call him modern day cricketer, but a, you know a more modern day cricketer. Uh, Malcolm Marshall has 1600. John Embry has 1600. I'm trying to remember. There's one other modern-ish player. I don't think Harath is that far away on the list as well. Um, but there's a few. Obviously, Jimmy Anderson has more than a 1,000. But the, the leader mm-hmm. of all time is Wilfred Rhodes, right? He has 4,204 mm-hmm. first-class wickets, right? All right, then. At an average <laughs> of 16, so a pretty low average. Um, but he had to bowl 200,000 balls in order to uh, get that number, or just under 200,000 balls. He bowled mm-hmm. from 1898 until 1930. So he bowled a right. full career before World War One, and then a full mm-hmm. career after World War One. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so if there was no World War One. I, I mean, he has to go over 5,000. It's ridiculous. Titch Freeman. So uh, Wilfred Rhodes was a spinner. Titch Freeman, an- another spinner. He's got 3,700. And then there's a bit of a drop-off until you get down to the next one. There's two more guys. Uh, there's Parker and Hearn who are both over 3,000 as well. So there's some ridiculous careers out there. So if you think about, you know, someone like Tim Murta even get anywhere near the level of mm-hmm. those sorts of players is absolutely remarkable. As you said, a bit of a shame he hasn't played for Ireland, but... He kind of is a test match player and they weren't playing test yeah. match cricket and he can make more money uh, for for Middlesex going uh, that way. Anyway, we're going to take a break here on Uncovered as I try and f- quickly try and find an ad. And we'll be back in a minute or so <laughs> and we'll be talking about uh, what happened in the IPL today because uh, uh, Bayram's all over this one. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Welcome back to Uncovered. Jared Kimber and Bayram Kazi here. Uh, Bayram, you can find him on Grassroots Cricket or you can find him on this podcast because he's here right now. Uh, let's get to the IPL stuff. So I record most of the IPL games if my family's around and then watch them when I can uh, in between NBA playoff games at the moment. Go Nuggets. But uh, the IPL game, I went to Twitter before and I saw, you know, just a string of photos of Virat Kohli looking angrily into the distance at someone I'll let you explain it because I'll probably get the details slightly wrong, but um, uh, it does seem like a very funny moment in IPL cricket. Take it away. So first of all, if you've recorded this game, better not watch it with your family. (laughs) That's where I'll start off with. (laughs) Um, Look, uh, uh, sorry, I I, I just automatically said Afridi because we're talking about Gautam Gambhir. But um, Virat Kohli and Gautam Gambhir, this is not the first time they've had a war of words, right? They've been at it in the past as well. Gautam Gambhir has been very critical about Virat, the captain in the past. And then just earlier this season, when we saw uh, LSG beat RCB, we saw how animated Gautam Gambhir got. And that was quite something. That definitely did make... No, I wouldn't say headlines, but it was meme content. People were definitely getting on top of that. Now, I only had one eye on the game today. I was also working on some other stuff for Grassroots. But, I mean, I was I was kind of sort of watching it. And... I reckon initially, you know, Kohli was feeling it a bit. He was in an animated mood. He had a few words with Amit Mishra as well. Someone who had a closer eye on the game can definitely correct uh, me over here from the comments or, or in the comments or anything. But that's how it all started. And then towards the end of the game, or actually after the end of the game, Kohli and Naveen Haq had a bit of a scuffle. And Naveen is... He has a bit of a reputation for getting himself into these situations. I've seen him do it in the past as well. And ultimately, you know, this is Virat Kohli. And he's just beaten you at a game defended 126 odd. This is probably not the best time to be 
getting on the wrong side of Virat Kohli and uh, he handled it. I thought Virat handled that part maturely. Then I reckon Kyle Mayers got yeah. into a little bit of something with Virat and that's when Gotham came in and Gotham Gambier and Virat Kohli, I mean, given the history that they've had, they actually kind of went off at each other and other people had to come in between. Uh, lots of pointing. Virat did the whole silencing act like Gambier from the previous game and lots of subplots, lots of interesting subplots, very WWE-esque today from the IPL. And honestly, I mean, from someone who is a third-party observer, I kind of loved it. <laughs> Well, here, here's the thing. Gambir part two or three is the kind of subplot that we were waiting for in our lives, especially if you're into that sort of drama. And I think I tweeted out there that if someone from India, Pakistan, Twitter, whoever, can recreate the Afridi Gambir dubbing into a Kohli Gambir dubbing, I'm always on. I'm welcome. It would be much appreciated. But uh, I think that uh, Virat, you know, might have lost his school a bit as well. And uh, Gambir, of course, being Gambir, uh, we've not seen, it's not the first time we've seen him get super animated, right? He has a bit of a reputation mm. of being that way. So it got a bit out of control enough to give us lots of meme content, flood Twitter, take the focus entirely away from the fact that RCB defended 126 in an IPL game in a tournament where everyone was chasing down 200. Mm. So I think that's a very important thing to point out and uh, what transpired after the game should, shouldn't take away uh, shouldn't take the focus away from what actually transpired in the game. And uh, yeah, that's my take on it. But yeah, top drawer, box office, love it. So <laughs> there's a couple of things I really enjoyed. One was when uh, the, the clip I saw, I read a couple of articles of it, but I didn't see as many of the clips. But the clip I saw was when uh, K.L. Raul tried to get Naveen to come over and talk to Virat Kohli. And I saw a lot of people saying he was asking him to apologize. We have no idea. It w could have just been, mm -hmm. guys. Let's be adults. Come and talk to each other. And Naveen just turns, and Carol's <laughs> face is hilarious. As if, what? How? What? Why are you going the <laughs> other way? Just absolutely, you know. When, you know, uh, it's you know when you do a favor for someone and you try and get them together, uh, you know, with someone who's you know more popular than you or whatever, and then uh, it gets completely blown up before you get a chance. So there's a beautiful moment of Carol. But the other thing I was thinking is that there is. We were complaining about this, and there were people in the comments talking about this as well um, the other day. Some of the tweeting by the Twitter accounts, uh, the social media mm -hmm. accounts uh, on, uh, for the IPL teams is so friendly. Like, you know, they'll be playing against Chennai, but their account will just be completely pro-Doni, right? And, <laughs> you know, and you see it with Virat as well. I can't remember which team it was mm -hmm. it was playing against RCV, and when Virat took over the captaincy um, uh, for that first first time back, and uh, they they were basically saying, um, oh, it's great to see Virat Cap. What? You're playing against them, right? And we ha obviously have seen the other side of that. You know, there was the slap back in the day and there has been arguments. Oh, and there and, and three stars. Yeah, yeah. Slap, right? Way back. You know, so we've seen it. Early, early days. Yeah, I yeah. that was really early on in the IPL. I think Pakistan players used to play in the IPL back then and that tells you something, right? That's yeah. how early that was. It might have, <laughs> was it 2007 or 2008, the slap? I, I think it might have been the inaugural season. If not, it might have been the second one where Gilly won it with the Deccan Charges. No later than that. Yeah, yeah. Definitely it was, it was no really early. You're right. And we've had players fall out with each other and stuff before. Not all of this makes the, the media, but, you know, mm -hmm. sometimes, sometimes it does and sometimes you hear stuff and everything else but there is an element of if this is going to be a league league right even if these players are all from the same country they have to be when they're out in the middle still playing as, as full-on and Virat Kohli is that kind of player Naveen is definitely that kind of player right Kyle Mays is an interesting one because I've never thought of Kyle hmm. Mays as that kind of person before but maybe he is and we just you know maybe it's just taken him a couple of years to find his voice at international level and maybe maybe Gotham Gambir has unlocked that version of him well but the point is that Gambit is that sort of person as well so mm. I think it's a really really interesting um situation uh to have going ahead because I, I don't know if you remember the um uh I'm trying to remember the name Marlon Samuels and Shane Warne Oh, that's like the pinnacle of it, right? You're taking that to the extreme. Yeah. That's like Warney swearing at the top of his lungs with the mic on. Yeah, throwing the bat, <laughs> uh, throwing the bat for Marlon Samuels, all that sort of stuff. That's that's obviously uh, a little bit too far, right? That's where mm -hmm. I remember James Sutherland defending that. But James Sutherland's general point when he was C CEO of Cricket Australia for that was that it shows it's a real competition. And I do sometimes look at some of these other leagues, and the IPL is not the only one. There's a few of them where you do think to yourself, look, I've got no problem with you guys being best friends, but 
you still, if you're playing for this team and it really matters, you still want to burn the other person. So to go back to the NBA, you know, there was uh, it, Minnesota played Denver in the last round of the playoffs and there were two Canadian players playing on, on, on each other, right? All right. And they were literally, yeah, exactly, your boys. Was one of them Wiggins? Is that guy still around? Wiggins is still around, but he played, plays Golden State. No, it was, um, ah. oh God, I forget the Minnesota guy, but Jamal Murray was playing for the Nuggets. Um, mm-hmm. and who, like that guy. And whoever was, whoever was defending him from Minnesota, um, Alexander Walker, I think his name is right and right. they were going at each other really and they were jawing at each other and everything and you're like they're going to be playing a world cup or an olympics very soon where they're going to be probably both starting or at the very least both in the rotation of that tournament and yet and they would have grown up knowing about each other probably playing around each other and all that sort of stuff they have a relationship you know it's canadian basketball for all i know they're old, old <laughs> men are friends right and yet they still Absolutely. have that and, and, you know, that's not to say afterwards you don't want them to shake hands and, and all that sort of stuff, but you do want that little bit of, of fire, the same that you see from mm-hmm. international sport. If not, if franchise cricket is just a friendly endeavour, I don't know how you feel about it, but for me that gives it like a, um, a limit, right? Mm-hmm. And, it's, and the weird thing about the IPL is, in fact, Nahal's just put a really, and if you want, if you want, want, if you've got a question for one of us, feel free to put through a super chat, everyone. But this is quite interesting from Nahal. Some tweeting is getting toxic, right? This mm, is really interesting. Tell me about it. Yeah. I mean, you could say that about any topic, of course, when it comes to Twitter, <laughs> yeah. especially since uh, Elon uh, changed the algorithm. But, but, uh. but the, the, the basic thing is that the fans are already there. They're already taking it really, really seriously. And then you've got the social media accounts of the teams not taking it seriously. And sometimes you've got the friendly nature of the players. It does need to get to that level when playing for whatever your jersey is actually matters. Otherwise, it's kind of all make-believe, right? Mm -hmm. No, I totally get that. I mean, I think the PSL has evolved in that regard. It was super friendly at the start. And now you see that the teams are really going at each other. If not the players as much, the fans are completely going at each other. And the social media accounts of the teams are engaging in proper banter. I think a change of pace, uh, one of the Pakistani Twitter accounts that covers cricket, uh, they did like a meme wars sort of thing in which they would allocate points to whoever burned the other team better. I think you need more of that in the IPL because I think it was Rajasthan Royal to someone and the tweets that they were tweeting out, it didn't seem like they were team Rajasthan at all. And uh, I think like whilst I am of the opinion that it is totally fine to view a league being... Not like not being a fan of any team and just appreciating the cricket. Mm. That's how I watch a few leagues. But it's very important to have that fandom uh, yeah. element in it, and it's very important for rivalries to build. So if I see Chennai playing Mumbai, I expect things to get hot and heavy because this is the supposed classical of the IPL, right? So in that regard, I think that this game might have even benefited the brand of overall brand of the IPL because you know you have. Virat Kohli, arguably the biggest superstar in Indian cricket after Sachin Tendulkar. And then you've got someone like Gambhir who often finds himself in the news and is also a politician on the side. And then you've got the meek face of KL Rahul trying to just steady the ship in between. Lots of fun content and, over there. But also, ultimately, the international player element, right? Like, yeah. why, why, Naveen shouldn't have to act like Virat Kohli's a god, right? Like, in his mm-hmm. mind, that's actually what we want. We want him to just think of him as another player who's annoyed him on the field. And that it should be different to how other people treat him. Like that's a that's a natural um thing. But do you remember do you remember Glenn McGraw versus Brian Lara? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the classic, right? That's the one the early days of YouTube. You'd YouTube Glenn McGraw versus Brian Lara, Kumar Sangakara versus Sean Pollock, and Afridi and Gambir. Those are the three favorite sledging moments I think I have in all of cricket. And Sangha's one was just chirpy and fun. Uh McGraw and Lara got ugly. And oh yeah, I think yeah. Lara kind of kind of won that uh, in my eyes. Uh, solid responses, and I, I think Sawan and McGraw also beefed. Yeah, so time. Sawan did uh, uh, made a comment about McGraw's wife, and I think she was, mm-hmm. I think she was, or might have already had cancer at that point. Um, so yeah, it, rest in peace, Jen. Yeah, it went um, it went a little bit pear shaped. I'm pretty sure I'm remembering that one right. Yeah, the, it, look, it it's an interesting thing of cricket that you have this weird sort of dynamic. And so you do have these incidents um, and they're never like a fair fight anyway, if a fair fight was ever to break out or, or anything like that. But there, there should be an intensity to the way that the games are played. 
this time in the PSL, you had Babar Azam versus Mohammed Amir, and it was one all by the end of it because Amir got Babar in the second game, and Babar creamed Amir for a couple of beautiful cover drives in the first game. So that was a nice little subplot to have. All I'm saying is, it builds to the brand yeah. and the drama of a league when you have these subplots. And Kohli versus Gambhir is as box office as it gets. Like Gautam Gambhir has been very, very vocal about uh, Virat Kohli, the captain. He was almost, you know, rampant in his. Um, I don't know, rants where he would just go off on how Kohli doesn't deserve to be the captain. And I mean, he even made some fair points. But with Gambhir, I feel it's just that it's the tonality that comes out of him that stirs a, a lot of people up. I, I just feel that's the case. Yeah, um, my, my memory of, of Gambhir was all the way through his career. Um, he wasn't the most popular with, with teammates and everything else. I, I remember getting a text message from someone when he went into politics and said he's actually found a way to annoy more people, uh, which, <laughs> which I thought was quite good. Um uh, any other IPL thoughts? My only other one was the Tim David game where mm-hmm. you, I was doing the mass in that game and I was like, this tells you how much Tim David has changed from, I was kind of there at his breakout because I was there when he first started playing, I'm trying to think if I was at one of his first big bash games. or maybe, maybe Hobart? Hobart Hurricanes, right? That's who he plays for? No, he's playing for the Scorchers at that point. Oh, okay. Yeah, so All right, a, so he's a JL product then. Yeah, he was in that setup and couldn't really break through for a long time. Obviously, went over and played for Singapore, then played against Scotland. So Singapore beat Scotland in those World Cup qualifiers. Um, where if I, I, I think he failed, and mm. I still think I have bowling plans that might work against certain uh, against <laughs> him. But weirdly enough, uh, it, teams don't really seem to use that that much. But I think he failed in that game. But he ended up like taking a wicket or getting a run out and then taking like four catches. He was like deep mid-wicket to deep mid-wicket. Um, but he's a fantastic player. But it's so interesting to see someone who couldn't even break into a big bash side. Uh, I think before Singapore, maybe he played three big bash games. Um, mm. And and I remember chatting to him a little bit when he was in the UAE for those qualifiers. He's just a nice guy who works really hard. Like you could see around the nets how much extra he was putting into his game and everything else and the prof- uh, the professional side of it. But then now you've got this sort of the sort of cricket hipsters picked Tim David out a long way, and I think a lot of people thought not that he was a busted flush, but that maybe he wasn't quite the player at this level. Um, you watched- well, I'll tell you this, Jared. Uh- if you ask any PSL fan, oh, yeah. they'll take full credit. They'll take full credit for Tim David because Lahore Kalandas is where he really, you know, made a mark. Then Multan got him and he, yeah. uh, I think he won them the title, if I'm not wrong. And look, when you've got a player like Tim David who can come in in the lower middle order, he can strike at, what, 160? And I think he averages 40 with the bat. Those are unreal numbers. Yeah. 4160 is a combination that I would kill for. And I think that Mumbai Indians, if they cannot assemble a team around Surya Kumar Yadav, Sky, who is also a very similar sort of, a a cricketer in the similar mold, such that he strikes at a really high rate. And you've got Tim David, you've got those guys back to back. If you guys cannot assemble a team around those guys or build a core around those guys, then I don't understand. Uh, I I don't think there are any excuses for you not making making the playoffs. Because those guys come one after the other. One of them needs to work. And you've got Ishan Kishan, Rohit Sharma, and I'm probably missing someone at this point, but those two alone are huge names. And them not firing at the top is hurting Mumbai. Because if they can give them a solid platform, Mumbai have what it takes to go deep with the bat. Might not have the best bowling attack, especially in Bumrah's absence. But I think that it's absolutely inexcusable for you to have that sort of wealth of resources and still be four games out of eight at this point. So I'm going to be very critical of the Mumbai Indians. I think that they need to pull up their socks. Yeah, I think I think their batting's okay. I, I think you're right. Uh, Ishan Kishan's really interesting, and I'll probably do a video on him eventually because I think he's had one year, and that year was so spectacular that people can't really get over it. But in his mm-hmm. overall, that hasn't fired. But because he had that year so young, it's hard for you not to think that he's a superstar. Rohit Sharma got an ODI double recently as well. Oh yeah, I mean that's further. the thing. It, there's no way you can look at him and, and say, "Oh, he's had one year and it was a fluke." Like we all know that it could happen. But you're paying when you're paying the amount of money they're paying for him. You're not paying mm-hmm. for a guy who's consistently done it, right? Cameron Green, you're not yeah. paying for a player who's consistently done it. Even Tim David, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you, you're really paying a lot of these guys for what they will be doing in the next two to three years. But the bad has held up the batting has been fine the bowling hasn't held up though and, and i think that is you know certainly part of the problem i think 
um, almost all the way through the game, they've been quite poor. But they're four and four. I would say that almost all their wins have been against fairly ordinary teams so far. So, like, I wouldn't mm. be, I wouldn't be massively excited uh, from them. And, and I mean, Jared, if Piyush Chavla is your best bowler, no disrespect, Piyush. I mean, the fact that you're still going is amazing. But if he's your best bowler, you know you've got a problem. And I was actually staggered to know that Piyush is 34. He's Virat Kohli's age. And if you put their pictures together, well, they, they don't look the same age at all. But, uh, I mean, Mumbai's an interesting one. I would still say that they're in with a shot. But the team that I'm super um, impressed with this week, even though they lost out, is Rajasthan yeah. Royals. Because bear in mind, Joss Butler isn't clicking like he's supposed to click right now. And then you've got Yashasvi Jaiswal, who is the second leading run scorer in the IPL. Striking at 160, 100, which he just scored, 120-odd and 61 deliveries. Strike rate of 200. He's got 350s, four scores of 50-plus in nine innings. And it's just that same trend that we see with India's under-19 stars. You saw it with Virat Kohli. We've seen it with Shubman Gill. We've seen it with Rishabh Pant. And now we're seeing it with Yashasvi Jaiswal. And I think that this guy is probably the find of the IPL, especially when it comes to uh, the batting department. And if Joss Butler starts clicking... With him at the top, I see this team going all the way even because they've got a solid bowling attack, right? You've got two premier spinners in Ashwin and uh, Chahal. And then you've got Trent Bolt, who is practically the best new ball bowler in the IPL. Um, Someone can challenge me on that, but I'm not going to change my opinion. So uh, that, I think, is a solid team which can actually challenge the likes of Gujarat, who seem to be the team to beat once again. Yeah, Most well-placed to defend their title. Uh, I think think they're the best two teams. I I, I just finished the power list and there was a I think while I was finishing the draft, Rajasthan lost that game. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't going to put them above Gujarat, but I was wondering whether I should have them in the same tier. Uh, and then they lost that game and I thought, I don't rate Mumbai that high. I, I thought Mumbai played well in that game, but I still don't think Mumbai should have been in that position. Uh, there was some interesting bowling. Sandeep Sharma bowled uh, uh, incredible in that game. And, was it Ashwin mm-hmm. or Char? One of the spinners bowled really well as well. And everyone else went for like... Ashwin did. Yeah, it was Ashwin, wasn't it? Everyone else went Chahal for went 10. for a few. I think he went for 30 through... Uh, I think everyone went for over 10s except for those yeah. two. I've got, I've got these numbers. I mean, Jason Holder went for, uh, what, three sixes and three deliveries, defending, what, 16, 17 in the last... Wow. Well, so... I've, I've written about Jason Holder before. He He's an incredibly expensive death bowler. He just takes a lot of wickets mm-hmm. and sometimes it works for him. <laughs> but I've got this down in front of me on my, on my um, notebook that... Sandeep had one for 20 off three. And at that stage, at the other end in the power play, Mumbai had scored 38 runs uh, for no loss. So it does show you a couple of their... But it's a good lineup, as you said. I've I've got no problem there. Uh, We're going to take another break here on Uncovered, and then we will come back and we're going to talk about Pakistan's small circle. And this is not a slight (laughs) on Death Mango. Welcome back to Uncovered, uh, Jared and Bayram here. Uh, remember, if you do have any super chats, feel free to whip them in before we uh, finish up here. Um, I want to talk about something that I, I, I don't think people know how common this, this sort of thing is, but it does happen from time to time. But Pakistan and New Zealand played a game the other day where the circle was, uh, well, the inner ring uh, was wrong. Can you take me through what it was a one day, wasn't it? It was, it was the start of a one yes. day. Yeah. Can you take me through mm-hmm. what the hell happened uh, and how people work this out? Because I know this is going to sound weird. These things happen a lot, and it's not always that the media and the fans work it out. Yeah, well, honestly, it was the first time I've seen anything of the sort on a cricket field. I was in the press box in the Rawalpindi Stadium covering the game, and they bowled the first over. First over of the game was done. Second over, all of a sudden, we see there's a pause, and now we're not sure what's happening. Guys are coming in with tapes and stuff. There's some measurements going on. And then one half of the circle was altered. So not the entire circle, but one half was altered. And I think, and I think it's quite an educated guess at this point, is that they had that circle as per the uh, the pitch used in the previous ODI. Yeah. And that is as Pakistan as Pakistan cricket can get. I mean, that is the definition. Haphazard things happening like that. Something that is treated like, oh, so what? We'll fix this. Um, not the first time we've seen something of the sort happen. But yeah, it was a bit of a, a funny moment. And uh, I'm not quite sure what to make of it. All I can say is that Aleem Dar was officiating and he's not on the elite panel anymore. So make of <laughs> that was, what you will. <laughs> it was definitely a sub-elite moment. Uh, for those um, who don't know, generally when these things happen, and they, as I said, they do happen more often. Quite often there'll be one or two markers that are in the wrong spot and an umpire or a fielder would just kick them into the right spot. So these things do happen from time to time. This one was more egregious and more funny. But they almost <laughs> always happen because of old pitches. 
and someone forgets that you're not using the same pitch that we're using before. But I actually, I played in a club cricket game where we were bowling and the other team just couldn't time a ball and all of our fast bowls were having trouble. They threw me the ball. And I remember I bowled my first delivery and I was like, I couldn't get it down to the other end. And it was so weird. And I remember I bowled like 25 overs this day and I couldn't, and that no, no batter could hit me because the fly, and every time I put the ball even slightly above their eyes, no one could hit it. And if I tried to bowl quicker, it would be like meters short, right? And this just kept happening, but it was a ridiculous thing. This team like struggled to like 200 runs. And then uh, at the end of the day, we waited for the opposition to leave. And then we went out and we measured the pitch. And what had happened is someone had just marked it based on where the lines were in a previous wicket. But earth doesn't work that way. Right? <laughs> and it had changed. And I can't, I think it was, it was a ridiculous, it was like a huge amount of, of extra meters, like an extra meter and a half or two meters. Um, you know, what I would be curious about is how do they do it with at, at Lords with the slope and everything? That's got to be challenging, right? Well, I don't know. Measuring I don't the think pitch that, with that. I, I mean, there's no way. I mean, this, this shouldn't be happening for a Pakistan what, ODI either. But there shouldn't, every ground in the world, they should just be measuring it every fresh time, which sounds mm-hmm. like, a, this sounds like a, the sort of thing <laughs> that is really obvious. I don't think this always happens. And my guess is if you measured every international cricket pitch, and every first class and, and professional cricket pitch, that you would find that there are a lot of cricket pitches that aren't the exact right amount. And if you look at those circles, uh, the inner rings, you would find this more often than not. I think this one was so obvious uh, that, that there was no way getting around it. But, uh, but I've, I've, had, I've worked with cricket teams where they've come off and said, I don't think that's, that is the right shape circle. Um, I remember someone telling me, and I'm trying to remember who they were playing for, but it was an associate nation playing it like a World Cup qualifier. Remember who the player was, and he said that he was pretty sure that when they marked the circle, it was the women's size, which is oh. five yards shorter than the men's. Mm-hmm. Um, and no one did anything because they would already been going on for a couple of overs before anyone. Someone mm-hmm. looked down and went. Someone was a point and going. I feel a bit closer. So <laughs> the Pakistan one was incredibly um, hilarious the way it came out. But this is something that happens uh, more often than not. Usually, I would ignore bilateral ODIs. But A, uh, you're from grassroots cricket and you probably had to cover this game. Uh-huh. And B, we are coming mm-hmm. to the World Cup and these were, you know, uh, ODIs in Asia. So I suppose they need to be talked about just a little bit more. Uh, take me through uh, the one day. What do I need to know about the Pakistan-New Zealand games? Well, first of all, I just want to say that if this is a recurring problem, why don't they have Spider-Man, uh, Spider-Man, of course, Spider-Cam deal with it? <laughs> not not the superhero, Spider-Cam deal with it. They, they could possibly put in some tech over there that could measure these things. And I mean, I know Stuart Broad is not a fan of robots, but this one kind of makes to sense. To be fair, I don't um, think they need, uh, they just you could use a measuring tape. <laughs> I mean, you're right. You could, do, you, could look, you could do that. I mean, there should be, I would have thought the, and I've never seen this before, but I'm pretty sure the umpires should be checking it, right? Not the ground staff. Like, I, 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 I suppose I so. don't want to slander any ground staff, but you could mm-hmm. actually give, if you had, I don't know, a bunch of fast bowlers and you made it a couple of feet shorter, you could drastically uh, change that. And maybe the ground, I've never seen umpires measure it. Maybe they do. I'm just saying, I don't think we always have the exact same measurements on cricket grounds. And I think quite often when there's older pitches, people trust that and ground swells and moves and all sorts of things. But yes, uh, spider cam. If you had a proper spatial tracking thing, you're right. You could also tell it yeah. straight away. In theory, you could. But anyway, what you need to do, with, uh, what you need to know with respect to the series is that a, it's extremely important to Pakistan because this might be the last time they're playing at home, given all mm-hmm. of the news that's surrounding the Asia Cup. We don't know what's going to happen on that front. Latest I've heard, and this might be a total rumor, but India considering a five tournament, a five team tournament to replace the Asia Cup altogether. So I'm not too sure on this. Don't quote me on it, but. Things have been a bit topsy-turvy with respect to the Asia Cup and Pakistan hosting India. So we don't know whether or not Pakistan will play at home again. These are five ODIs. And even though it is a depleted New Zealand side, Pakistan need the game time. In the last three and a half years, Pakistan have played 23 to 24 ODIs, which is a ridiculously low number, especially given that I personally think that the skill set that Pakistan's players have is best suited to ODI cricket. So if I was the PCB, I would be scheduling a shit ton of ODIs for Pakistan, especially so that Babur could break some records or (laughs) Fakhar and Imam could get some runs. But good thing is that those guys have been amongst the runs. And if you look at the past six years, I think Fakhar and Imam are actually the most successful ODI opening pair. And they've got seven ODI hundreds, uh, 100 partnerships now as a result of their first 
the effort in the first ODI with 100 runs they put up uh, at the start. Fakhar Zaman has back-to-back hundreds in the series. Uh, mm. He has now become only the second player uh, in history to record, I guess, uh, scores of three scores of 150 or 165 plus. I think the other one is Rohit. Obviously, he has three doubles. So that's an interesting stat. He is the only player in history of ODI cricket where. Uh, he has two scores of uh, 180 and 190 in the chasing effort. So he has that going for him. He's a man uh, like imperious touch because he also got 100 in the last ODI versus New Zealand when they visited earlier. So he's on three ODI 100s in a row. Very uh, good opportunity to level Sangakara's record of four ODI 100s in a row that he got in the 2015 ODI World Cup. That's a little subplot that's brewing and Fakhar is the rage of the town right now. Everyone is celebrating him. Pakistan were playing in Rawalpindi and off late, even though historically Rawalpindi surfaces aided fast bowlers. It's an absolute road these days. In fact, I live here and maybe some roads in Pakistan might not be as good as that <laughs> Rawalpindi pitch. So there, there, there's a stat for you. And um, Let me just go back to Fakhar for one minute. Runs. You can, if you yeah. finish off on, on that tangent, but I just want to... Uh, Fakhar Saman, I find him really interesting. Hmm. Not very good at first-class cricket. Average is sub-40. Yeah. I don't think people know that. Average is sub-40 in first-class cricket. Not very good in T20 cricket. Average is under 30. So not quite as bad. But but again, you've just said that this is a man who's chasing down Kumar's record. You would expect him to be averaging over 30 in T20 cricket, right? Absolutely. He might be the only cricketer. And I'm, I want to put... Shy Hope probably is in this conversation as well. Mm. Although I would say that Fakhar Zaman is a lot better at one-day cricket than maybe Shy Hope is because of the strike rate and everything else. Yeah, 90 plus strike yeah. rate. But it's really weird that we are now coming, we now have a period where we have two players, both batters, who are near specialists in ODI cricket, who haven't, re- despite doing some good things in the other format, they haven't really cracked the other formats. There's no reason that he would be this good in one-day cricket and not as good in, t- in either T20 or first-class cricket, right? So... At a certain point, some of those skills that he has should have leaked over. It's a really, really random thing. And even and just to prove this isn't just a test match thing either. Uh, sorry, an international thing, I should say. First class cricket, as I said, 38. List A average, 49. Um, and T20 average, yeah, 27. It's actually lower in international cricket. I forgot it's 21 in mm. international cricket. Yeah. It's such a bizarre record. It feels It feels made up. Yeah, and just to think that in 67 ODI innings at the time of this show, Fakhar Zaman has 1500s, oh sorry, 1000s and 1550s. So in 25 of those 67 innings, he's gone on to score, which is a fantastic mm. record, especially if you're an explosive batsman like Fakhar Zaman is. He's the, someone who just goes for it and Strike rate the sort of player four. that could win Pakistan a game single-handed. Yeah, so, so sh- I think that is a very, very promising statistic. No, no, you're right. I mean, especially- strike rate 94. So I think the... Global strike rate in one-day cricket at the moment is about 91. So he's not mm-hmm. massively above it, but he's above it enough. Um, and the way he bats is a little bit... If you compare him to someone like Rohit, Rohit's in control when he, mm-hmm. you know, as a one-day batter. This fucker's a bit more... You're just like, eh, this may not work. And then later on, as he as he gets into the innings, you know, um, there's a little bit more control there. No, I think he's fascinating. Anything I mean, else, anything from New Zealand um, that I've missed before? You know, because as you said, it's not a full-strength team. Um, they're only going to have a handful of players who are probably going to play in the next World Cup. But is there anything that they need to know there? Yeah, uh, just a bit, uh, just to close off on Pakistan over there. Fakhar and Rohit, their comparison is a good one because Rohit is may- perhaps more fluid and Fakhar is very agricultural. <laughs> Uh, with respect to shots, he'll just move mm. it down the ground. Uh, but I think he's improved his game on the offside. With respect to New Zealand, if Fakhar Zaman has gotten 200s in two games and is on three in a row, Daryl Mitchell, who has never played at first drop in his life in list A cricket, has scored 200s on the bounce. And this is a guy who has filled so many gaps for New Zealand. I've lost count of them. Comes in as opener in the T20 World Cup, makes it work versus England. In the test team, I reckon he's just been filling or plugging gaps of cavities ever mm. since he's made his debut. And to good measure as well. I think he's one of the wisdom cricketers of the year, if I'm not I think he was, yeah, you're right. Yeah. And uh, the way he played in England, I mean, New Zealand may have gotten gone on to get whitewashed in that series, but everyone will remember Daryl Mitchell's performance in addition to Bazball. And I asked Tom Latham this question in the presser, that uh, given that Kane, you know, I mean, fingers crossed, I hope he makes it. We all love to watch Kane Williamson bat. But given that he might miss out very likely on the World Cup, and he's their premier number three batter, is Daryl the kind of player that they're looking to fill that gap? And 
That's exactly what Tom said. He said that he's someone who's literally always done that for New Zealand. He's made a habit out of it. And if you look at Daryl Mitchell as a uh, competitor, you know, brilliant in the field, will give you some buffer overs. And I just love the way this guy will plant his right foot Mm. and absolutely go for it. Proper golf swings versus the paces. And I think he uses his feet really well versus the spinners. Now, these weren't raging turners in Rawalpindi. And I mean, Mohammed Nawaz and Osama Mir might not be the two best spinners that he's going to face in the World Cup. Osama Mir might not even be there. Uh, but I think that the way he has come out of his crease and wafted them over their heads, I think that's a very promising sign for New Zealand going forward. So you could expect him to be starting at number three. And I think New Zealand is one of those amazing teams in this world uh, who, even though a lot of their players are missing quite frequently now, especially given the Trent Holt situation, the gulf between their A team and B team is not as drastic as perhaps some of the other mm. teams. You've got some really good players coming in. Rachin Ravindra is supposed to be a prodigy. I know he hasn't cut it just yet, but I see some promise over there because he is one of those utility players. Maybe he could be a Jadeja at some point if he gets like his lines properly mm. uh, in the future become that sort of bowler. Uh, Not quite a hitter, though. And Mark Chapman, he was the man of the series in the T20 internationals, uh, was a late entrant into the ODI squad, but unfortunately hasn't been able to cut it just yet in ODIs. So I guess... uh, But he was was incredible in the T20s, wasn't he? Mm -hmm. Yeah. He was absolutely brilliant, the way he played the spinners. It feels to... And he had this ramp shot versus Harris Ralph uh, at his pace, which was just probably the shot of the T20 series. So... uh, you look at Jameson, Chapman, Mitchell, Will Young, all these, you could mm. even throw Devin Conway in, even though he's not a new... You have you to know, look at the form he's in for Chennai. Yeah, but he, even though he's not, like, he was someone who grew in the New Zealand system. It's really interesting mm-hmm. that so many of these players are coming on late, which means that, you know, if they have... Yeah, Bracewell's another one as well, right? Mm-hmm. They seem yeah, to, they seem to have a very similar situation to what Australia had in peak Australian period, which is, okay, mm-hmm. worst case scenario, you you know, number six is injured. Okay, well, there's another number six out there averaging 45. We'll just bring them in, right? And that keeps yeah. happening again and again with modern New Zealand cricketers. I think we saw with their bowling stocks, their fast bowling stocks, uh, you know, in the England series, that once you scrape beyond Jameson and Bolt and, you know, Wagner and Southie, it wasn't maybe cr- well in ODI cricket. You have to add Matt Henry to that conversation. Oh, of course, sorry, Matt, Matt Henry. Yeah. yeah. So, but but once they had two or three injuries, so I think Matt Henry was out of that test. Jameson was injured, and then they didn't pick Bolt. It did look a little bit thinner on after that. But you still had five seam bowling options that were all, mm-hmm. you know, even if it's the end of Wagner, right? It, it it's still Wagner yeah. still did some impressive things in that series. Um, and then you know the same with the batters. It's just like they just. I'm not sure all these guys are going to be stars, but. When when Watling went, I was like, "How do you replace Watling?" Blundell's making more runs, right? It's yeah. ridiculous. But he's making a lot more errors as well. If you look at his keeping statistics, they're not as not as impressive well, as BJ. Watling. If you look at, he had a great period. We didn't drop anything, Blundell, and now he hmm, started. Really? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that I can't remember what it was. It was over like a 12 test period. He hadn't made any mistakes since then. He's made a lot, but. He also, he yeah. went up to the stumps against medium pace um, in that series against England, which I, I think was a huge difference. And I'll be doing a video on that probably before the England's last test. But, well, Tommy Latham keeps wicket for them in ODIs, so I suppose he's not part of that conversation. Latham got runs. He got yeah. 98 and then was, uh, well, got a feather edge versus Harris Ralph. Barbara Azam hasn't gotten 100, but got 49 and 65. I'm not sure if you've watched this clip, but Barbara creamed, uh, I reckon it was... One of Ish Sodhi or Rachin Ravindra, I cannot recall, but he creamed him over uh, extra cover for a six. And that is just a sight for sore eyes. If, if no one's seen it, just go YouTube it or something. Go look at that six. Um, it's funny, you know, uh, I was at the ground. Bucker got 100, got lots of cheers. Baba gets a 50, noisier ground. So <laughs> it's an interesting sort of uh, spectacle, really, to watch Babar Azam play in Pakistan because the fan following that he's got has almost gotten a bit scary at this point. And, don't, uh, don't talk anymore about that because you know that you and I yeah. have already recorded a podcast about it. Absolutely. It's coming out in a couple of weeks. Keep an eye open You're getting very dangerous to, to, to ruining that particular podcast. Uh, mate, yeah. thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Your Twitter uh, handle is Def Mango, uh, which, of course, I would have put on the, 
if Muku was here, uh, Muku would have put it on the screen, but <laughs> Muku's uh, gone to bed, hopefully. Um, but thank you very much for coming on. Uh, uh, you'll be back later in the week. You and I talk about Mickey Arthur, and I'll certainly get you to pop in for a few podcasts. But thank you very much. I'm Jared Kimber as well. Um, and if you uh, need to find me, I'm everywhere. If you need to find a Baram, you can find him at either Grassroots Cricket or on Twitter at Def Mango. But we'll see you again uh, when's Wagon Wheel next week. I'll see you again Wagon Wheel next week. No, <laughs> what where, what podcast is this? I got too many. The podcasts. Red Inca on Thursday, I believe. I'll see you on Thursday for Red Inca. I have <laughs> another podcast episode with um, what's his name? Barra. I've almost forgotten who he is at this point. Uh, he'll he'll be out later in the week. He'll be on Wagon Wheel, um, and then of course we'll be back again for Uncovered uh, next week as well. Thank you to everyone, and I'll talk to you again very soon. This show has an ad-free version via Patreon, and there are many other extras available there as well. There is a link to the show notes. The show is hosted by me, Jared Kimber. Barrett Sundaresen is my co-host. It is produced by Nick McCorriston. We also have a great production team from 42, with Rati Joshi on socials, Orijoti Senapayi and Maida Akam producing podcasts, and Makunda Bandredi is the head of our YouTube account. Podcast Network.